0: That's right. That is right. Well, let's just pray. We need prayer. I need prayer. That's awesome, because God is immediately available as soon as we call on his name. So, Lord, thank you, Father, for meeting with us here at this moment. You said we're two or more gathered. There you are in our midst. Father, you put this word, your word, on my heart. Your word about being an an evangelist to reach out to this world the lost the dying the hurting to preach the good news lord we know this is your heart father lord i thank you that you just anoint this word you anoint this message you anoint your people here that you would give them confidence and boldness that they wouldn't be nervous that they wouldn't be afraid to speak out but lord we'd understand you went before us you paid the way with your blood and that you said you would never leave nor forsake us So you are here, you are mighty, you are powerful. We give this evening to you and we say, come Lord Jesus, and let your spirit rule and reign in our hearts. Let your spirit teach us tonight. Let your spirit go before us and eradicate those areas in our lives that have been stumbling blocks. I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus, above all other names, of which every knee and tongue will confess and bow. Hallelujah. Amen. (laughs) Say this with me today is the day of salvation today is the day of salvation amen so why are so few christians witnessing that's sort of the question and i again admit this is a hard message that there's a lot of times in my life I'm like, I'm not witnessing like I should. I need to be more bold. I need to talk more to people. Why aren't my friends who I work with coming to the Lord more? I want to see that. Ever since I was a little boy, I wanted to see people get saved. I see people on TV and actors and famous musicians and say, I want them to be saved because they're the ones going out and you know reaching the young generation. So I have this heart, but you have this heart too. And sometimes our hearts have been a little bit, Afraid a little, you know, of rejection. This, besides public speaking, I believe that evangelism is one of the most dreaded things in Christendom. A lot of people just shy away from it. Either one, because nerves. Two, because I don't know the Bible enough. Three, because of rejection. Four, well, what if I push them away from Jesus? What if I say the wrong thing? So this is, this is going to be a message that we're going to all be challenged on. I'm challenged on it every single day. But today is the day of salvation, and because of this, we should be asking ourselves, well, what's going on today? Are we, have we witnessed? Have we led someone to the Lord? What is going on? Okay, according to Street Level Evangelism, where the space for the local evangelist lives by Michael Parrott, he said this, 95% of all Christians, 95%, have never actually won a soul to Christ Eighty percent do not constantly witness for Christ, and less than two percent are involved in the ministry of evangelism. Now I was looking at some Barna poll groups too and and some stuff from various other people and and those stats ring pretty true um, to me that's pretty like I don't want to say amazing it's pretty sad, um, but I almost didn't believe it but I think we can all sort of agree we see this happening, especially in America, right? We see that a lot of people are falling further and further away from the Lord. Now, we are the church. We are the light. So it's up to us, right? So we know this. We know the great suggestion. <laughs> we know, okay, just make sure you guys are listening. We know the great commission. Mark 16:15 Jesus said Go into some of the world wherever you're comfortable and sometimes speak <laughs> No. No, no, no. Come on. Come on. Jesus said, "Go into all the world and preach Everybody say preach. Preach, preach. preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. That's Jesus talking. Now, what Jesus said, I want to I wanna do. You know, I, You know, I love a lot of different pastors. I'm submitted to my pastor. I believe what pastor preaches, he hears from the Lord. But not every pastor hears from the Lord. And there's a lot of people saying a lot of different things, a lot of opinions out there, a lot of denominations. I want to go back to what Jesus said, and then I want to live by that. And that means I'm going to have to change some areas. That's okay. I believe we're all here ready to change, right? We're all here, ready to be challenged. Amen. Okay, so Jesus said, "Don't speak softly." He said, "Preach." Right. That word, Greek "caruso," means to proclaim openly, after the manner of a herald. We all remember what a herald is. If you're going to herald back in the, you know, Middle Ages, you know, someone with the actual horn, a herald. Heralding, this means to proclaim openly in the manner of a herald with gravity and an authority which must be listened to and obeyed. That's what the Greek word preach, which Jesus used there, that's what that means. So my other question to myself and sharing with you guys, when we herald the gospel to unbelievers, are we commanding an authority in which they must listen and obey or is it sort of a nice suggestion hey jesus loves you okay got that done i'm good to go (laughs) no we need to command it it's a commandment and it's it's a it's an authority now who gave us that authority jesus isn't that awesome because i don't have that authority in and of myself and i don't have the boldness in and of myself Jesus Christ gives that to us. So, how do we get back to seizing today as the day of salvation? Because you all said it with me. Today is the day of salvation. So, how do we get back to that? Point number one. I only have four points, but you all know me. Sometimes the points go a little long, but we're going <laughs> to get through this. Four points. Point number one don't take the grace of God in vain. If you have a pen, you can write that in. See, I'm making you guys work a little bit on your notes. Don't take the grace of God in vain. Now this, so how the Lord starts uh, me out with, you know, I'm begging him, Lord, what do you want me to speak? What's going to go on? I need a lot of, like, info from the Lord. And a few, actually, a week and a half ago, he just took me to 2 Corinthians 6. That's how the Lord started this. I'm like, okay. And then I saw this word, don't take the grace of God in vain, and I was like, wow, what does that mean? What is that? Because that sounds pretty, pretty tough to me. I think if we were just to listen to that, don't take the grace of God in vain, maybe ask yourself, what does that mean to you? Right? Maybe that means, is that sort of like don't take the name of God in vain? Does that have to do with cussing? Does that have to do with maybe sinning? Does that have to do with maybe being a worldly Christian? What does this have to do? Well, let's turn to Second Corinthians 6. I'm already there because I planned this out, (laughs) but I'll wait. And I do have it on the slide, but let's turn there. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Paul says in verse number one, 2 Corinthians 6, verse number one, We then, as workers together with him, who's him? Jesus. Okay. Also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain. Verse 2. Now, Paul's going to explain to us what he means by this word. But I took the liberty to look up that word, what Paul uses. Kinos. It means devoid of truth, empty. This is, this one. This one's deep right here. It hurt me a little bit. But it just like convicted me. One who boasts of his faith yet is without fruit. Ooh. <laughs> this is heavy. But this is good. So this is what that word vain means. One who boasts of his faith, yet is without fruit. Well, what could that be? Paul's going to tell us. Don't receive the grace of God in vain, for he says who? Okay, he, capital H, says, In an acceptable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. Now, if you look in your Bible, are those in quotes? Yeah. That's in quotes. So Paul is pulling something when in his epistle. He's pulling something, and he's quoting something, right? And then Paul goes outside of quotes. He says, now, behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. So to prove Paul's point of us not taking the grace of God in vain, not having fruitless lives, Paul pulls a quote say, saying, in the acceptable time I've heard you, in the day of salvation I've helped you. And now Paul then says, this is the time. Okay, so let's go to that. What is this quote that Paul pulls from? Well, turn with me to Isaiah 49. I also have that marked here. Now, Isaiah is a prophet of God, and Isaiah is one of the most brilliant, amazing prophets who has described Jesus in such detail that, I don't know, if if you ever want to really... um, Witness to someone and show them some amazing details of prophecy. Read Isaiah 51 to them, but also describe this first key part. Isaiah wrote, Isaiah started his ministry in 750 BC, 750 years before Christ. Okay, now we know from the Dead Sea Scrolls and from scrolls we've found in antiquity that these writings are dated correctly. Okay, these writings are 750 years before Jesus came on the earth. And yet, Isaiah is describing the Messiah in so much detail. It's amazing. It's God. It's divine. It's a miracle. In fact, there was a conspiracy amongst uh, the Jews to say that the book of Isaiah was actually written by three different prophets, and that the latter half of Isaiah was written by prophets after Jesus came to earth. And that's been debunked by the Dead Sea Scrolls and by antiquity and history of the actual manuscripts we have. Now, why would they say that? Because Isaiah clearly describes Christ so often. Now, in in chapter 49, this is known as the second servant song. There are four servant songs in Isaiah. Um, These servant songs, now remember, Isaiah is hearing from the Spirit of the Lord because we know all of Scripture is inspired by God and his Spirit. So Isaiah is hearing from the, from the Spirit, but he has four songs in his book. And these songs describe the suffering, the exaltation of the servant of the Lord, known as Messiah. This servant is gentle and meek. He's a royal figure. He represents Israel in its ideal form. He is the high priest. He atones for the sins of the world. He makes a covenant with the world. And he also sets the prisoners free. And in fact, if we would remember, Jesus himself in the temple, reads from Isaiah 61, sits down and says, this has now been fulfilled in your hearing. Remember that? That was, Jesus was reading himself in Isaiah from, I believe, the third or fourth servant song. But if we look at Isaiah 49, we'll just go through it sort of quick. I do want to pick out some verses, but... uh, Verse 1 says, listen, O coastlands, to me. Now, I'm in the New King James. King James. Um, these translations from the Septuagint actually properly capitalize some of the proper words. So, me is capitalized. So, listen, O coastlands, to me. Would Isaiah capitalize himself? No. Take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me... From the womb, from the matrix of my mother's womb, he has made mention of my name. He has my, made my mouth like a sharp sword. Well, who's coming back with a sword in his mouth? <laughs> Jesus Christ. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me. He has made me a polished shaft. He, in his quiver, he has hidden me. This is Isaiah listening to the Spirit of God, and Isaiah is listening to Jesus and God sing a song together. This is amazing. This entire chapter is amazing. And he said to me, You are my servant, O Israel, in whom I am glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord. And my work is with my God. I mean, wasn't Jesus at times in vain? Everybody forsook him. John 6, 6, 6. Everybody forsook him. He was crucified alone like a lamb led to the slaughter. Hmm. And now, the Lord says, who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring who back? Jacob back, so that Israel is gathered to him, parentheses, for I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. Who's going to write, I'm going to be glorious in the eyes of the Lord? If I stood up here and I'm going to be glorious in God's eyes. No, only Jesus is glorious in God's eyes. Jesus and the Father are one. This is Jesus singing his song. And indeed, he, God says, it is too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob, to restore the preserved ones of Israel. I will also give you, who? You? That's Jesus. God is saying, I will give you, Jesus, as a light to the Gentiles, that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's Jesus. So God's singing back to Jesus, I'm giving you to the Gentiles. I'm giving you as salvation to the whole earth. Not only are you going to restore Jacob, you're going to restore the whole earth. And then look at verse 8, really quick. Thus saith the Lord, in an acceptable time, I have heard you, capital U. God's saying, I have heard you, Christ. In the day of salvation, I have helped you. I'll preserve you and give you as a what? Covenant to the people to restore the earth. Well, what did Jesus say when he took the cup on the night in which he betrayed? He said, this is the new covenant of my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So God just said, I'm giving you as a covenant to the earth. I'm giving you, Jesus, as a covenant to the earth. Now, this is amazing. This is 750 years before Jesus walked the earth. And look at this. Verse 9, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth. To those who are in darkness, show yourselves. Amen. That is exactly what the Lord has done. Amen. Now, this is an amazing bit of history because we go from 49 to 50 to 51 is the suffering servant, Jesus Christ being crucified for all of us, his blood being the atonement of our sins. Isaiah is just hearing this beautiful song between the Father and the Son. Now, Paul decides to go here. He decides to quote, this is the day of salvation, as his... Emphasis for why we must not take the grace of God in vain. This is Paul's answer. Don't take the grace of God in vain because don't you know? The Father worked with the Son to prepare a perfect time of salvation. The Father and the Son working together to prepare the earth. The Father and the Son coming together in a covenant to send Jesus Christ to earth as a propitiation of sins. And now the Father has said to the Son, now is the time. The Father has said to the Son, this is the day of salvation. The Father has said, come, all you who are weary, and I will give you rest. Amen? And so Paul now is saying, behold, behold, after he quotes that, now is the day, now is the time of salvation. So this is our key emphasis today Today is the day of salvation. And every single time, you're going to hear this, because we're going to repeat this. Everybody repeat it. Today is the day of salvation. Now when you hear that, now you will remember the second servant's song. Now you will remember Isaiah hearing the Father and Son sing together of the plan of salvation for all of humanity. Isn't that amazing? So now we need to come into this understanding. Look, here's what we, what we learned. Point two, God has not left us powerless. Amen. Isaiah is showing us the Father and the Son already planned out this wonderful view of salvation long before. In fact, Paul would write to the Ephesians, God foreknew you before the foundations of the earth. Well, so God's got this all worked out. So, first of all, sometimes we get a little nervous about soul witnessing because we think we got to do something. I got to know how to talk to them, I got to know the Word of God. Well, you know, studies show yourself approved, but this is the truth. God has gone before you. God has gone before me. I, that's a, I'm just saying that's encouragement to me. Look, Acts 4.33 declares. I have it on the slide, too. <laughs> and with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Well, where did this power come from? Acts 1.8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all of Judea and Samaria and the ends of the world. So God has not left us powerless. (laughs) Amen. God has not left us wondering, how are we going to witness to our friends? How are we going to witness to the world? How are we going to witness to those atheists out there? God is saying, I have given you power because I've gone before I've already established salvation to the ends of the earth through Jesus Christ, and now my spirit's come upon you to give you power and love and a sound mind. Amen? To do what? To be witnesses. Hallelujah. All right. So, the key God and Jesus did all the work for us. The grace of God is His power working on our behalf. Don't worry about what you need to think, what you need to do. He's got it taken care of. So how are we going to go back to taking and seizing the day of salvation? Point number two. We're getting there. God committed to us the word of reconciliation. God committed to us the 18. word of Okay, and we have that on slide two. I'll let you guys get there. Five verse 18. God, who is reconciled to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation, that is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So a few words we want to underline. Word of reconciliation, underline the word, word. (laughs) Underline implore and ambassadors. We're going to go over that a little bit. Now, first of all, have you heard the, the phrase, preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words? I think we've all heard it. maybe some of us have used it. It's got some nice it's got a little nice roll off the tongue. <laughs> I can't find it in Scripture. Never found it in Scripture. Uh, the problem with that is <laughs> Romans 10:13 through15. Paul asks a question, <laughs> "How can they hear without a preacher?" Paul says, starting in verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. We usually stop right there. And that's a beautiful statement. Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Anyone. Amen. Amen. Come on. Come on. I'm excited. (laughs) But then Paul has to go on. But this is good. He says, how then will they call on him whom they have not believed and how are they to believe in him who they never heard and how are they to hear without someone preaching that someone is all y'all and me we're all preachers of the gospel remember preaching Jesus said preach the gospel to the whole creation and that was that word herald with authority and with power commanding people to obey yeah well there you go there's your mission how many people wondering oh I just want to know what God wants me to do What's my purpose in life? This is one of the huge questions in all of Christendom, especially in the millennial generation. What does God want me to do? He wants you to be a herald of the good news to the lost world. That's what he wants you to do. That's what he wants me to do. And guess what? He's empowered us to do it. Amen? Because I know we have a lot of stuff on our plates. We have full lives. We have a lot of things, but guess what? Uh, God didn't call me to get a house and get a life before he called me to go out with the gospel. I mean, all I know from the word of God is he's called me to preach the gospel. He's called you to witness and be an evangelist. That's all we know. All the other stuff is the blessings of God. And thank God that we can live in America with blessings and homes and jobs. But so many of our brothers and sisters are living in a prison cell because they chose to do the gospel. So many of them are now in heaven because they had their heads chopped off. 90,000 Christians last year from the known world that we actually received data from were murdered. More than any other religion, I don't even like saying religion, but more than any other religion in the world. And those bumper stickers coexist. Yeah, coexist with the people who want to chop our heads off. Right. Okay. But guess what? They're doing the Great Commission. Amen. So... Does preach the gospel, if necessary, use words? Does that work in our situation? No. And neither does friendship evangelism. And I'm going to say it right here. I have this platform. Pastor's going to, like, iron this all out Sunday. Believe me. (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry, those watching on home. (laughs) But I have to say this. And I was like, Lord, okay. Friendship evangelism. Occurred about 50 years ago, really saturated the church, everything else. I want you to find a moment and a place in Acts and with Jesus where he first befriended people for a long time before he told them the Word of God. Okay, the woman at the well, they had a little chat. The disciples went off to get some bread. By the time they got back, the woman was already saved and had heard the whole gospel of why Jesus was who he was. So, Oftentimes, we say, we want to be friend, people. We want to be friend. We're going to be friend, be friend. Years go by. Years and years and years. And now we become great friends, but now we don't want to end the friendship by telling them the truth. That's the problem. Look, be friends. Be friends with everybody you can. Be Christ to them. But Christ never withheld the gospel. So we have to understand that. Our friends, the best. What is love? 1 Corinthians thirteen six. Love does not rejoice in evil, but rejoices when truth wins out. That's love. Love is rejoicing when the truth of the gospel wins out in our friends' lives, in our family's lives, and everything else. And I understand. Sometimes we're so close with people that it's going to be someone else that waters and whatever, but we can pray and intercede, and we could do what we can. But Jesus said this, a prophet's not welcome in his own hometown, right? His own brothers took a while to come before they came to Christ. But also know this, it's not your job to get someone saved. It's your job to witness. It's your job to be that preacher. And remember, more than just how we live, the preaching, that's your job. And it's the Holy Spirit that's going to work in their hearts. And don't grow weary either because I've had people reject me and come six years, 14 years later and say, I'm born again now (laughs) by the words that God spoke through you. Now, it took a little time but I'm not worried about time. Go on and keep moving forward and don't worry about someone rejecting you because remember, Jesus said, they rejected you. Hey, they rejected me first. If the world hates you, hey, it hated me first. It hated me first. That's what Jesus said. So let's not worry about rejection and hate. Let's go forth with the gospel. Amen? Okay. So let's look at verse 19. The word, word. Okay, we're in second. Corinthians five nineteen, The word of reconciliation. Word is Greek for logos. This means the sayings of God decree, mandate, the order, the moral precepts given by God to speak proper doctrine. This is what that word means. Now, Paul said God has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now, if we didn't have that definition, I think most of Christendom, in America, believes that the word of reconciliation means let's get along, let's be happy, let's not argue, let's not debate, let's not get uncomfortable, let's just, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you, Jesus loves you. Well, wait a second, but again, the word means the mandate, the order, the moral precepts given by God to speak and teach doctrine. That's what Paul said, okay? Okay? Now, Paul also says we're ambassadors. What's the word ambassador means? An ambassador is an accredited diplomat sent by a country as its official representative to another nation. That's what you are, that's what I am. Guess what? We're aliens, we're foreigners in this nation, in this world. Jesus said, you're not of the world. You're in the world, but you're not of it. But who are we representing? We're representing the nation of heaven, That's amazing. You and I are representing heaven and God's very presence and his word. So we have been, and I like this, accredited diplomats. That means you're not fake. You're not just sort of weaseling in there and trying to do it yourself. I work at a college, and every seven years we have to be accredited. And we're a community college. Accredited means if you don't get accredited with the state, and we have thousands of pages things have to go through, and and other colleges come on board and they have... Everybody has to come and and really open the books, and the teachers have to open the books, and everybody has to open the books. The tech committee plans, everything has to open the books to other people's eyes outside of the college so peers can look into seeing are we really following the proper instruction guidelines for the year for that particular uh, series of years, so that students are actually learning what they should learn because if a college is not accredited the student can go through the courses but then guess what their degree means nothing or they can't transfer to another college and some colleges have lost their accreditation which means every student loses their chance to transfer too so it's a very 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 huge thing i mean even the groundskeepers at the college everybody knows what accreditation is and everybody has to be Grilled on what that is. You work at the college, you know what accreditation means. Paul says we're accredited ambassadors. We're not just ambassadors. We're accredited. God has accredited that to us. So we have that moral, spiritual authority to represent heaven on earth. That's amazing. Praise God. So verse 20. This is the last one. Implore. Dome means beseech, ask, beg, to beg someone earnestly and desperately to do something. Paul says, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Now, I wonder when's the last time we begged someone to come to Christ with tears, with imploring, with desperation, come to Christ. Or is it more like, okay, here, Jesus loves you. Cool, see you, bye. You know, I mean, how desperate are we going to get? Paul says, we implore you. We implore you, be reconciled to Christ. Now, what are we doing? What are we begging? What are we pleading on behalf of God as a representative, as an ambassador of God? What are we doing? We're pleading them for one thing. Be reconciled to who? Why? Why? Yeah. Why Jesus? Okay, because I thought we're imploring people to get saved because they can have financial prosperity. So they can have their best life now. So they can have peace in their hectic life. So they can be generally good. Because God loves them. Because they have a great destiny. Because they deserve heaven. Because... God wants to build his kingdom through them and take over the seven mountain mandates of kingdom now theology and the new apostolic reformation. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Paul puts it plainly. Why are we saying come to Christ? This is why. Because he, who's he? God made him. Who's him? Jesus. Remember this song that was being sung? God and Jesus singing it together. God made Jesus what? Sin, he who knew no sin, God made Jesus sin for us that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. Oh, man. You see, a gospel not focused on the finished work of Christ is a gospel that's not true. A gospel focused on the emotions of the sinner is a false gospel. A gospel focused on the personal story of the sinner is is a false gospel. Why? Because the gospel is only focused on Jesus, and it's only focused on his salvation, and it's only focused on his sacrifice, because without the sacrifice, we are doomed. We all deserve hell. That's the gospel of God. That's the truth. You deserve hell, but I put sin on Christ, so now you can become the righteousness of God in me, and that's the good news. The good news is not you're all really, really good people, and you just need to just need to ask God for a little bit more, you know, comfort and knock on his door. Knock, knock, knocking on heaven's door. And it's all going to be good. And it all pans out in the end. It's all very good in the end. That's not the gospel. I know this is heavy, but we need to get this because the church hasn't gotten this. The American church has actually been preaching a false gospel in evangelism for the last 50 years. Many, many, many people now believe that they're generally good and that God is is mostly grading on a curve, and that's false, and it's from hell. Okay? You see, there's another word in there. (laughs) Why did God put sin on Jesus so that we could not have sin? Why? There's one more word in there. So that we would become the righteousness of God in Christ. When's the last time you heard holiness and righteousness being preached alongside evangelism. I'm just asking a question because I've been listening a lot and I haven't heard a lot of that. The reason is, is because a Christian and a church that doesn't want to be too righteous isn't going to tell the world to be righteous. Or not. But you see, Paul says it very clearly. The only reason sin was placed on Jesus was so that we could have our sins taken away and become the righteousness of God. So we could become the righteousness of God. And this goes back to some other times we've talked about. Are we trying to perform? Are we trying to get God to like us? Are we trying to be better? Then we've missed it. We don't get better in ourselves. We don't get better trying to do things the Christian way. We get better in Christ because it's his righteousness imputed to us. It's nothing we could do. It's nothing we could deserve. It's nothing, it's not by might, nor by strength, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord. It's only his blood. It's only his story. It's only him and any other thing that takes the focus from Christ and puts it on man. And emotionalism is a false gospel. And it's why people remain what? Stuck in sin. Because Jesus said, I came to set the sinners free. I came to set those in prisons and who are bound, I set them free. I broke their chains. That's what God says through Christ. Okay, point number three. We're getting there. Don't appease the sinner. Now for me, even to say sinner uh, is actually offensive to most Christians that I've come across, not in this church, but many, many, many Christians I've come across, for me to say sinner, they're saying, no, 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 no. Don't talk about their sin. Don't talk about that. Talk about who they can become. Talk about their destiny. Talk about the goodness of God. Well, wait, how can I talk about the goodness of God if I don't have anything to contrast the goodness of God with? If we're genuinely good, then why did God send Jesus? And why did God put the wrath of himself on Jesus? And why did God brutalize Jesus if we're just genuinely good? Question. If God is love, then how come he created hell? I get this a lot. If God is love, then how come he created hell? Because that seems a bit harsh. And in fact, a lot of people are apologizing for hell. Okay, first of all, if God is love, you are the object of God's love. John three sixteen: For God so loved the world... He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. God's love on the world, you and me and everybody, he poured his affection on us, and he gave us his Son. But now because of sin in the world, and because of what happened with Adam and Eve, right? We have all gone astray, and sin has come in. God did not create sin. God did not create death. God did not create cancer and everything else to come. We see the effects of sin, all that stuff entered into. And why doesn't God just do away with it? Because we live in a place called time. And in this place called time, we have one thing to do, make a decision. That's all we need to do. We have one thing. That's the main thing. We all need to make a decision. Who is Christ? That's what we're doing. And for God to give free will in this place called time, he must allow people to make their decisions. But don't be alarmed. God will avenge sin. God will avenge all the wrong that has been done. God will avenge cancer and children and sex trafficking and murders and hundreds of millions of innocent people being murdered by Stalin and Hitler and Pol Pot and all the atheist regimes through the last hundred years that have killed over 150 million people, by the way. God's going to, he says, justice is mine, I will repay. Now check this out. God loves us so eternally. That he's going to eternally punish sin, death, and the devil. We read that hell was created for the devil and the angels. See, we, hell wasn't created for us. Hell was created for the devil and the angels because while we're with God in eternity, and join eternity with the Father, they are going to be eternally punished because within each of us, lies justice we want and long for justice and we know that just someone getting the death penalty or you know hitler killed himself is that is that good enough justice no god has a lot more justice and what we want to do is we want to save people from that god is saying you don't have to come under my justice you don't have to come under my wrath i put jesus under my wrath so you can escape that and come under my grace that took the blood of christ but believe me There is a hell because God is good, and hell represents God's truest form of love, his form of love punishing that which has hurt his beloved. You are his beloved. So wouldn't he, being a loving father, punish that which has hurt you? Wouldn't he, being a loving father, punish that which has come to deceive you and to tear from you and to tear your life apart and to make you sick and to try and entrap you? Of course. Of course. And that is why God eternally is just and good in sending that into hell. And in fact, we read in Revelation that God will even send death into hell. Amen? That's a good thing. That's a thing that we can rejoice in. But people were never created by God to go to hell. But people are eternal. And so the the problem is, where will an eternal soul live that has rejected heaven and God? Because heaven and God are holy. God is holy. So how could he enter in? How could he receive that which is not holy? He can't. That's why we need the covering, the atoning of Jesus Christ's blood. So when people say, well, how could a loving God create hell? A loving God created hell to lovingly, eternally punish that which comes against you. And you don't ever have to fear hell. You don't ever have to come to Christ because you fear hell. You can come to Christ because he loves you and you love him. It's a real relationship. We don't have to be twisted our arms to come to Christ. God God has his arms wide open on the cross. Amen. So, as Jude 1.23 says, Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, even hating the garment stained by the flesh sometimes we are to literally people are on their way to hell and destruction and we're to just run after them and save them out of the fire like charles spurgeon said if hell if people are intent on going to hell then let them go over our bodies ripping and grabbing and crying out after them let's not just okay there you go no let them go to hell over our bodies begging them, and pushing them out of the way. Let them go, and they have to go through us first. We will not let any lie slip. Paul says this, tear down any argument which exalts itself against Christ. We're to tear it down. And the main argument is this, God's not good. That's what Satan's been telling everybody from the beginning. That's what Satan told Adam and Eve. God's not really good. You see, he's just jealous of you. Because you're going to be like him if you eat that, that fruit. You'll be like him. So God doesn't want you to be like him. So he's not really that good. He's keeping stuff from you. And that's what the world thinks too. But guess what? God already made them in his image. See, Satan's been lying to us about things we've already got from God. Satan spends his time convincing us that we need to ask God for what we've already been given, believe God for what he's already done, And wait on God when God's told us to go. That's a word, but that's true. So, number two, we're on point three. Number two, there is only one way to salvation Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John 3 3, you must be born again to Nicodemus. And in John 14 6, Jesus said, I am the only way to the Father. I am the way. I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And finally, if the sinner rejects the gospel of Christ, then we're to reject them and shake the dust off our feet. Let's turn to Acts 13. That sounds a little harsh, but let's, let's read what happened with Acts 13, shall we? Let's turn there really quick. It's also on the slide. We're doing good. Wrapping up, and then I'm going to just read 1, little more thing. Okay. So this is an amazing, amazing time. We're going to see what Paul is doing. Let's start at 44. Acts 13, verse 44. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city came together to hear the word of God. And this is because the disciples were going out preaching. And so now the whole city has gotten word. But... When the Jews saw the multitudes, they were filled with envy and contradicting and blaspheming. They opposed the things spoken by Paul. Then Paul and Barnabas grew bold, of course, by the Spirit, and said, It was necessary that the word of God should be spoken to you first, but since you reject it and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Wow. Ouch, Paul. But okay. (laughs) Okay. Paul's not pulling any punches. Hey, guys, you're rejecting the gospel? You've just judged yourself unworthy of eternal life. Okay? Behold, we turn to the Gentiles, for the Lord has commanded us, and now this is quoted I have set you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be for salvation to the ends of the earth. Where is that quoted from? Isaiah 49. So here we see in a whole other part of the Bible, in Acts, again, Paul is going back to Isaiah 49. I submit to you, Isaiah 49 is the crux of really learning how to witness. Very interesting. So now Paul's saying, we're going out to the Gentiles, and we're just going to, to witness to them. And then, guess what? When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad, and they glorified the word of the Lord, and as many as been appointed to eternal life, believed. And then we see... That the Jews stirred up even more people against them. And guess what? Verse 51. So they shook off the dust from their feet against them, came to Iconium, and there the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So sometimes we need to shake off the dust from our feet with people who are rejecting the gospel and turn to those who are receiving it. That's what exactly happened right there. Yes, Paul wanted the Jews to receive it. Yes, they did. But guess what? Once the Jews started causing a bunch of commotion and hindering others from receiving the gospel, then Paul said, you know what? I'm taking out all the stops. We were sent to the Gentiles too. Jesus didn't just die for the Jews. He came for the whole world. And I I know this in my life. Sometimes I get focused on just trying to, I just want to see this one person saved, this one person, this one person. And they just keep rejecting. Or they're just not interested in hearing. And you can't, you can't force someone to listen to you. I mean, we need to have... You know, that ability, we we get to love people as where they are. But guess what? Someone else might come. See, you've sown a seed. Doesn't mean the seed's gonna grow up right then and there. Let someone else come. Because we also know that many Pharisees came to the Lord. Many Jews came to the Lord, and we also have this promise. When the Antichrist comes, we know that a lot of Jews are gonna come to the Lord. In fact, there's going to be revival in Jerusalem and God's people will again come to him. There's just a hardening of heart right now. So don't get upset, don't get distracted or or disheartened if the people that you really want to come to the Lord, people in your family, people you love are rejecting you right now. You can shake the dust off your feet there. Not worry about it. I'm not saying it's not saying be mean to people. Okay, but it's saying, look, I got to go spread the gospel you got to go spread the gospel. Who's willing to hear now? For today is the day of salvation. Say it again. Today is the day of salvation. And finally, one last point. The back of your outline. A little, nice little uh, grid for you. How do we get back to seizing today as the day of salvation? Fear God rather than man. Amen? Fear God rather than man. You see, the fear of man appeases people, but the fear of God pleases the Father. The fear of man saves face and looks after self, but the fear of God sacrifices self, losing all for Christ. The fear of man compromises truth with not wanting to offend anyone, but the fear of God hates all that is evil. The fear of man promotes tolerance, saying, can't we all just get along? But the fear of God separates even family members with the sword of truth, dividing the inner thoughts and intents of the heart. The fear of man is welcomed by the world and popular, but the fear of God is hated by the world and unpopular. The fear of man accepts, accepts everyone, but the fear of God denies everyone except those who come through Jesus. You see, at this moment right here, we've gone through some heavy work, but we also know that this is a good word. This is sharpening us. This is us getting rid of weights that have hindered us. This is challenging us to say, look, God is for you. God's not against you. God has empowered you with his spirit. God has called you to witness. God has called you to be that voice of the gospel that no one else will hear but you. And guess what? With Christ, you can do it. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You have the Holy Spirit upon you. And you have the Holy Spirit working through you. Nothing shall be impossible because His Spirit works through you. So now, you don't fear man. Pastor Don preached all last week on fear. You don't fear man, but you fear God. And if God wants you to be stern to someone, then you're going to do it. And I've done that. But then there's times when God's going to have you not even say a word. And they're going to come to you and ask you questions. You see, witnessing and evangelism, all, all we can do is say, we need to do it. And here's some principles I've brought forth. But I can't tell you necessarily how to do it every time because it's different every time. I've been witnessing for 20 years. And every time, it's like, Lord, I need you. And that, for me, it never gets easier. And it never gets easier. Um, Like, I got this in my pocket that I can do it just without thinking. I'm always like, well, wait, Lord, what do you want to say? Holy Spirit, who is this person? Do you want to give a word to them? Do I need to pray? Like, what do you want to do? Because the Lord can give you a word of wisdom or knowledge, and you just pray for them, and chains are broken. And then they're ready to pray right there. You know, other times... I've been in a debate for hours till 3 a.m. with someone, and that's me showing them love. And they understand that I'm showing them love. They're an atheist. I'm giving them my time. That's showing them love. Okay? And, I, and they're like, you know what? At the end of it, they're like, I've never met a, a convicted Christian like you, that you are able to understand these questions of mine and take these questions and answer them. And so now they had something to think about, and they've said, I'm going to think about it. That's great. Very rarely have I led an atheist to the Lord at that moment, but I have had atheists come to the Lord through years of uh, talking with them, and that's been awesome. Some people are called to witness to various different people. I'm, sometimes I'm like, Lord, why? But I'm called to witness to mostly to atheists and, and very hardened people who know a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. They know a lot of the Bible. They know a lot of different languages, and God puts me always in their life, and we talk and discourse and have academic discussions and that's how I dealt with my my teachers. But I want to tell you, God's led them to the Lord before too. And not everybody. So who in your life do you need to talk to? I got a haircut today, right before the sermon. And I'm like, Lord, I'm pretty sure you want me to witness, don't you? <laughs> I'm gonna be talking on witnessing. And guess what? I got to witness, I just started thinking, okay, um, how am I going to bring about the Lord? Oh, she's talking about, you know, where you live. So I started talking about all the stuff I've gone through with my house. Oh, my goodness. Oh, crazy. And then what the Lord did and me, like, trusting him and all that. And then she's a, a believer in the Lord. She loves the Lord. and But she's just like, this is blessing me so much. I was just telling her how, how the Lord delivered me from materialism, how he even saved my Bible under all this water. And she's like, the, the Lord is just coming on me right now. Like, she's like, I feel his presence. And just as I'm getting my hair cut, you know, but it's like, that is just an example of, I mean, what is God doing? It's so easy. And I'm like, Lord, give me more creative ideas to be able to switch the conversation to you. Because I think we should always be thinking, if we're talking to someone, how can I switch it to you? All the time, you know, in the supermarket, they know me now. Where, where were you? Just coming back from church. How was it? Great. Let me tell you about Jesus. It's just simple like that. So, amen, let's pray.